Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership trainings and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi, welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are well. In today's episode, I am interviewing the lovely and amazing Anne-Marie Rodriguez de Colleen. Anne-Marie is the founder of Ruby Red Coaching. Anne-Marie's company has been going, they've just celebrated their 10-year anniversary, so they know their stuff. Absolutely incredible. So Ruby Red Coaching specialises in human-centric leadership. So human-centric leadership is about kindness and putting people first and using kindness as a business strategy to help drive the organisation and retain, um, retain your talent. You guys will hear a lot about leadership on this podcast. Um, I intentionally bring people on that are open-minded, kind, act with honesty and integrity. And it's just so important. We're in the business of caring for others, um, whether that is patients, our clients, our team members, and Amory embodies that. So in this episode, we talked about the power of being vulnerable. Amory talked about having compassion with action. Of course, you can't talk about leadership without talking about values and behaviour and culture. And for those of you that have not had coaching before, I asked Anne-Marie to walk us through what kind of a coaching session would look like. And I believe that the the coaching style of Anne-Marie is that she'll create a very relaxed and safe environment with you. She will coach you to bring out the answers rather than her tell you what to do, um, which I think is really good. I think we have got the answers when we... Uh, ask the right questions and we have a bit of time and a bit of space to think and when we know that we've got the support from we've got the support around us as always this is another great episode when I first met Anne-Marie I she started speaking and I was sitting across the room from her and I was just like I just want to sit next to her she's got such a warm and magnetic personality she's absolutely fantastic she's got an excellent voice a voice for podcasting hopefully by the time this is released her podcast will also have been released um if I've got the details I'll put it in the show notes enjoy and if any of you get the opportunity to do coaching obviously go to Amory. If not, there are so many great people out there, so many great coaches. Um, it's a fantastic opportunity, not just for your p- professional development, it will help your personal development if you have issues. They'll, you'll just, it will give you the tools. It's a really good investment. I think lots of people think it's a luxury or it's not worth it. I think a good coach, a powerful coach, um, will you will reap the rewards for years and years and years to come it is a worthwhile investment enjoy the interview and i'll see you in the next one so hi Anne-Marie thank you so much for joining me today on the business of healthcare podcast how are you doing i'm very well i'm very excited to be talking to you so thank you for having me my pleasure my pleasure Please, could you introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? Sure. So uh, my name, as you know, is Anne-Marie Rodriguez de Colleen, and I am a leadership expert. I'm a coach, and I'm the CEO of Ruby Red Coaching and Consulting. Ruby Red is a human-centric leadership and development consultancy. We're based in London, but we serve clients worldwide. We work with ambitious 
values-driven leaders and teams across a variety of industries and sectors. And we help to empower them to achieve their highest potential whilst positively transforming themselves, their organizations, the communities in which they serve. And at the baseline, uh, you know, we work with leaders and people who want to do the best work of their careers, but to do it in a way that is without harm, basically, to be the best of themselves, but to do it, bringing people up with them as opposed to knocking anyone down in the process. And you coach people within healthcare space, is that correct? Yeah, so my background is healthcare communications, and I worked for over 25 years in that area, mostly in Europe and the UK. I am American, but I have been living in the UK for 26 years. And so my, with that background, working predominantly with pharmaceutical companies, I worked for the NHS for a while as a head of communications. I work with a lot of patient organizations, uh, not-for-profit groups within the healthcare space. And so when I started Ruby Red Coaching Consulting in 2009, that was where my experience was. So I still serve those populations, those communities quite significantly, but I have moved out into some other areas such as publishing, such as conservation, media, entertainment, things like that. But my, the bulk of my work still is in, within the healthcare sector. So I know lots of people that do coaching and leadership development. What makes you and your organization unique? Why would I come to you? It's a good question. I think what makes us unique is, is the scope of our experience and our approach. And Predominantly, I guess what makes us very unique is our fundamental mission. So our mission as an organization is to improve the way in which the world lives by revolutionizing the way in which we lead and work. And we live the, that mission. We live the values that, that underpin that mission. And that's, that's when I talk about human-centric leadership, that's the foundation for that. And so that makes us unique. And I think that my experience across so many different sectors and across different levels within organizations from, you know, dog's body up to board of directors, managing director within myself, my own role is unique. And also it's the creative component. So I use a lot of creative and diverse techniques and tools in my work, whether I'm coaching or facilitating or doing anything around corporate culture using these creative skills to help us to think in a different way, to access all the information that we already have, we never use on a regular day-to-day basis, so that the solutions that people come up with are those that are actually their own and very deeply part of who they are. They just haven't been able to, to access them before. And so I think those things make us unique. Can you give me an example of some of those creative techniques that you use? Yeah, absolutely. So I work with a lot of Lego (laughs) as an example. For a very long time, I used to use Lego, Lego bricks, and I would use a lot of other creative techniques, including uh, drawing and Play-Doh and painting and all those kinds of things. But the Lego I've come back to time and time again, and I am now certified as a Lego serious play facilitator which is a meeting methodology that enhances people's ability to communicate, ideate, innovate in a way that we wouldn't normally do on a day-to-day basis in, in the workplace. So I use Lego bricks as a way of finding a common language 
So I, I do a lot of work with people who, for whom English is not their first language and, and large groups of people. And so having something that allows them to communicate through metaphor, through storytelling, that is not that is not completely English language, you know, they don't have to be perfect in the English language to do that, is very empowering for the group. It's very empowering for the individual. When you work with Lego as well, as an example, and you're working with your fingers, with your hands, you're allowing yourself to work kinesthetically. And when we do that, we access, they reckon, about 80% of our, of our own thinking, of our own information in our mind, that we have behind us in, the, in, our, in our archival brain that sits there. And when we are doing things like doodling, as an example, we're allowing ourselves to rest the front of our brain and the active part of our brain and allow ourselves to access those archives and put pieces of information together that, to make connections and to come up with new thoughts, new ideas that we wouldn't really do otherwise. So that's, that's an example, a very long-winded example <laughs> <laughs> of how I use the Lego bricks. So you mentioned the term human-centric leadership. Mm-hmm. When your clients choose you, do they understand what that means? That's a good question, actually, Tara. I think I think they have a, a sense of what that means. And, and, and really, you know, what it does mean is putting humanity and the values of humanity, which are really basic hum, human values, safety, integrity, honesty, trust, all all those kinds of the things that we take for granted. But we no longer can take them for granted and people recognize that. People are looking for, in this very volatile world in which we live in, they're looking for vision and focus and, and integrity. And they're looking for leaders who can provide that. And leaders themselves are trying to figure out in there are very few leaders who work independently, who are, who are dictators, you know, who can just say, this is how it is and, and move, move forward with it. We're, we're completely interconnected, which means that we need to, as leaders ourselves, we need to be, feel that kind of safety for ourselves. We need to have access to integrity. We need to feel that we are working in integrity and authenticity all of the time and to in order to provide that for others. So it's, very, it's, it's a complex and difficult thing. And I think people recognize these components and that's what they're looking for. And so when I talk about human-centric leadership, they kind of make a beeline for it because it's something that they want. And when I also talk about human-centric leadership, I'm at a really base terminology. I talk about, you know, how can you be the best in your area, be ambitious, be creative, and not be a jackass about it you know? <laughs> and not become a jackass because that's that that happens a lot with the pressures of of leadership we begin to to start to express values and behaviors that really we would never do before we wouldn't think about doing before we would be ashamed of doing but there are good reasons why we we, we move away or we feel pressured away from those values and those behaviors it's the behaviors not the values really that are in question. So again, another long answer to your simple question. Thank you. (laughs) So what sorts of challenges are businesses coming to you with? Mm. All kinds of things, really. I think in, in most people, individuals, so I work with individuals and teams. And when an individual leader comes to me, it's usually for a few reasons, but predominantly because they are in transition themselves. 
They may be working in an environment where there's a merger, an acquisition, a promotion, changes in their, in their, either the responsibilities or the people that they're working with. And they need to check back in with themselves and figure out how do they progress authentically? How can they be the best leader that they can be? People are coming to me often because they want to do better by their communities, by their families, by their teams, and they don't exactly know how to, they feel pulled and stretched in too many different directions. And they don't necessarily know how they can do, you know, how they can go to bed at night, how they can, you know, what their legacy is going to be at the end of the day, the end of their lives, and still actually achieve financially and achieve by other measures of success that are important to them. So they come to me to help them clarify that for themselves and to help them identify the skills and create the skills and capacity and capabilities rather that are going to allow them to be the best leader that they can be and the best human that they can be as well. So that's often why why I'm working with individuals and teams will often come to me when they are predominantly leadership teams and they're either middle to senior leadership teams who may have never worked with each other before, or there are some challenges in the way in which they're working. They might be working virtually at different locations. Um, so communication is a bit of a, of a challenge. And communication, not just in terms of the basic, you know, hello, goodbye kind of thing, but really the nuance of that communication. Uh, how, you know, moving away from potentially cultural clashes at all different levels and and moving beyond that and creating something that's really a new culture, a new powerful way of working is often what I'll be doing. And also helping these leadership teams find an identity for themselves as leaders, both as a team and as individuals, so that they can essentially drive forward the agenda for the organization and feel good about that for themselves. So those are the kinds of things that companies would come to me. And I do do a lot of work, actually, to mention, with small business owners who are moving kind of to the next level. So I do a lot of work with them uncovering their their true values, their true core behaviors that they're looking for within their organization as they build their, their company and build a larger team so that they make sure that that culture that made them so special to start with, they're able to retain that moving forward as they grow beyond, you know, the initial startup phases. So I do a lot of work there too. Cool. So I've seen some of your blogs. I absolutely love them. And in one of them, you talked about how businesses and organizations should incorporate kindness into their business strategy. What did you mean by that? So what we're noticing in the research, it's it's kind of um, undeniable that there are qualities such as kindness, empathy, humility, that are the characteristics of leaders today in organizations that are actually thriving and in teams that are actually thriving. And those are characteristics that we often, you know, assume, you know, they've been cast away in the past as being too soft and too feminine. But those are the characteristics that are really going to take us forward in the 21st century and beyond. It, particularly in the kind of the discourse looking for the volatility of today's world, those are the things that are going to take us forward. And there's, you know, empirical evidence to demonstrate that this is the case. So kindness, as an example, is something that I've actually, you know, kind of looked at that for a very long time and have noticed as the world has changed, we practice kindness, random acts of kindness 
in our day-to-day lives. We'll go and buy a cup of coffee for somebody in the queue behind us, or we will deliver packets of food to um, homeless people, or we'll, you know, we, we practice kindness because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel that we're taking some action in a world in which we feel disempowered. And these are really important things that, to do. And, and when we look at the workplace, what I noticed was that we're really quick and easy to be kind to a total stranger. But when we go back into work, we're working, you know, minimum eight hours a day with the same faces. And we don't say hello. We don't, we don't open the door. We don't offer assistance. We withhold information. Really basic little incivilities, which if we could get beyond that, what changes could we make in our working, working world? You know, what sense of empowerment, you know, if you felt, if you could do something, if you were consciously kind, if you took that as a, as a, as a practice to be kinder to the people that you work with, that doesn't necessarily mean people that you work with on a day to day basis, just the people in your work environment. If you were actively kinder with them, how would that make you feel about yourself? How would that, kindness, that act of kindness and generosity, impact that individual on a day-to-day basis. I believe very strongly in the chain effect, right? So the chain reaction. So if you are, you know, if you're in your office and nobody talks to you all day and when they do, they're, they're grumpy and they're shouting orders at you and you happen to leave the office to go for lunch and somebody accidentally knocks you, you're already on edge. And instead of being generous about why that person may have accidentally knocked you, you shout at them. And that individual who's accidentally knocked into you may have had the worst day of their life. And you've just compounded that. We are all interconnected and small little acts of kindness really can change the world, but it changes our environment at a micro level. So where we are, our workplace and kindness and compassion to me are completely intricately connected. And I saw somebody recently talk about the difference between sympathy, empathy, and compassion. And the, the analogy they gave was sympathy is when you see somebody stuck in a well and you walk by and you say, oh, and you look into the well and you say, oh gosh, that stinks. You're stuck in a well and you walk away. <laughs> and, right? And empathy is when you walk up to that well and you see somebody in there and you say, oh my God, you're in a well that stinks. I totally know what that feels like. I was in a well not that long ago myself. And then you walk away. But compassion is when you walk up to that well and you look in it and you say, oh my goodness, you're stuck in a well. Let me get a rope and help you out. It's kindness with action, right? And that to me is what we need need more of in the workplace because I have so many clients who come to me and say, why is everybody else a jerk? Why Why doesn't anyone else treat each other with humanity? And I have to remind them, you know, do you really think everybody comes to the office thinking, you know, how can I screw over somebody else today? Why do we find this so hard? It's so obvious. Why, why do we keep getting it wrong? Because we assume that we're the only ones that see it. (laughs) And in fact, we bitch and moan about it, but we actually do very little to change it. You know, the kind of holistic change that we're talking about, human-centric leadership, takes more than assuming others have to apply it. You have to apply it first to yourself. And, you know, when I was talking about 
certain leaders, when leaders get into situations where it's high stress, like typical working today, high stress, lots of pressures, fewer resources, leaders can often get into a system of overwhelm, stress, exhaustion. And I saw some research that said, you know, there are two key characteristics, two key things that drive leaders to become jackasses, basically. And that's stress and fear. Okay. So, so, you know, fear of being, fear of failing, fear of loss. You know, if I fail, I'll lose my job. Fear of being found out, fear of embarrassment, fear of being less than. That drives a, a behavior, some certain behaviors that are not characteristic of the values that those individuals actually hold. And once you get into that spiral of fear, you get into a spiral of stress as well, right? And when we're stressed out, the chemicals in our bodies are focused on survival. So, you know, basic, basic chemistry, you, you end up with all of your, your blood flow, your energy is going to your limbs and to your vital organs. And it moves away from your brain. So when it moves away from your brain, all the oxygen is, is going to make sure your heart can beat so you can run away. Of course, you know, you're not making good decisions. You're, you're more risk averse. You are more likely to look for, for danger, for negative narratives. And these are, these are just normal people, good people. <laughs> and the solution that they think that's going to resolve that, that sense of stress is, why isn't the team carrying the load? Why isn't everybody else doing the right thing? But in fact, everybody else is experiencing the same volatility, the same chaos, the same stressors, and they're reacting in a similar way. And the only time that we're really going to fix this is when we look internally to ourselves as leaders and say, okay, let me be more fair. Let me be more fair to myself. Let me be more fair to others. And we start there. That's what's going to make the change. So I know loads of people in the healthcare space that have never had a coach before. They don't, they don't have one. They wouldn't know what it involved or entailed. So if I was elite, if I was a CEO of a hospital and I was struggling and somebody said, you need to speak to Anne-Marie, go along. What would that first session look like to give those that are thinking about having a coach or not quite sure what goes on in a coaching session? Could you give us a really quick summary of what that session would look like? Sure. I think every coach is going to work slightly differently to each other, but in principle, a coaching session, working with a coach allows you to, to find your own solutions. So it's, it, you know, a coach is not there to tell you what to do. We're not, you know, they're not there as your mentor. They're not there as your, as your strategist, your business advisor. They are there to help you find your own solutions. A first coaching session might involve a lot of exploration, a lot of questions, you know, uncovering and understanding what challenges the individual might be facing, but also what um, biases they may have towards those challenges. What are they not seeing that's right there? How, you know, in terms of the way in which they are perceiving things, in terms of the way in which they are responding to things, they may also, the, the conversation may also focus, especially that first one, on what are the real objectives that they're trying to achieve, you know, Oftentimes, you, I'll have clients, well, I, I worked not that long ago with a general manager of a, of a pharmaceutical company, 
and uh, he had just become a general manager. So the, the, the brief was to work together for the first 100 days to get him into this, you know, really situate him as a, as a senior leader. But the, the, as soon as we actually got into the coaching session, he wanted to talk about plan B <laughs> because he was so frightened of what he had just done. Oh my God, I've taken on this big promotion. I don't want to tell anybody I'm scared to death, but I need to figure out what my exit plan is. And of course that wasn't what we were going to work on. We were going to work on his fear and, (laughs) but, but we had to get through, you know, he needed a place to actually articulate this. So those are the kind of things that we might do in a, in a first session, understand what the challenges are, understand what the real objectives are and figure out some plans of how, how you're going to know when you're achieving those things. So what you failed to mention at the beginning is you've been going for 10 years. Yes. Which is incredible. Thank you. It's our 10th anniversary right now. I'm very excited. So from a business perspective, what do you think are the the key lessons you have learned about growing this business? What does it take to lead a business over the past 10 years? Oh my gosh, Tara, isn't that the golden question? (laughs) Yeah, but tell me. Yeah, and I'll buy it. Okay, I'll tell you what I've learned. And I, don't, I think that what I'm about to say is not the, the answer to everybody. And to, and, um, yes, your answer. You know, and I think everybody has to take their own journey. But I think what I've learned over the last 10 years is how important it is to be able to flex. How important it is to, and, and not just in terms of reacting to the marketplace, but to allow yourself to, to grow, so not to get too attached to a particular point of view or a particular direction, because as you are progressing, as you are growing as a business leader, you get new information, new insights, new, new interests, and it's important to be able to, to honor those and not feel necessarily that you're, you're being disingenuous to what your initial intention was, right? But to be able to flex with that. Because the more you flex, I think that you are, you are providing a better, a better service and you are providing a better leadership and you are becoming a better person. And I think all of those things, you know, one doesn't come without the other. That has been extremely important for me to learn. The other thing that's been really, really powerful, and, and I, I was introduced to this almost from the very beginning, but it has become clear to me over the last 10 years about how important this is and that as a small business owner, is being able to be vulnerable. And we talk about that all the time in business and and in other areas. But in this instance, I'm talking about being open to your competitors, being willing to, to share, to share information, to share insights, and to do it with kindness and generosity because every time from the moment I went out of the corporate, in, corporate environment and I started out on my own, I remember other business owners being generous and kind to me and me thinking, what, what do you want in return? Why are you doing this? And they, of course, they wanted nothing. And over time, I began to really trust and understand that that was what a wonderful way to exist as a business. They've all done very well. I've tried to follow suit and I feel I've done very well for it too. And where that has ended up for me as a business owner and a business leader is an incredible network of other incredible leaders in all different sectors who support 
each other, either through masterminds that are you pay for and you participate in, or just through other types of networking events and other types of work that we've done together. And that to me is, is it, it's been invaluable. And I think, I wish, I really wish that I had understood that and I had had access to that when I was a business leader in the corporate setting. And I don't think we have enough of that in the corporate setting at all. Those are some of the things I think were key learnings for me and things that have helped me to, to last as long as we have. 10 years, I'm really excited about 10 years because I, I, I saw some data recently only about a third of companies actually make it, small companies make it to the 10-year mark. That's, that's incredible. A, right? I mean, that's, I, if I had known, if I would realized that a few years ago, I, I don't know, I wouldn't have been so cavalier about, yeah, yeah, I'm in business. But, <laughs> but here I am and, 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 you know, and we're continuing to grow. We're doing really well and we're continuing to grow and expand and I think provide a better service all the time. So yeah, those are the things, those are my lessons. And what key piece of information or advice would you like listeners to take away from this conversation? Okay. What I would love people to understand is that there is hope. There, there is hope as in, in terms of our leadership. And there's hope whether you are a leader or you aspire to be a leader or you are being led by someone else. We're seeing some incredible shifts in the world where you know, just as a base point, the understanding uh, and evolution of uh, the power of women in the workplace and what they bring to the table and what is so important, these characteristics around humility and empathy and being able to, you know, to negotiate relationships. This fourth industrial revolution that we're in is all about relationships, even though it's, we're talking about AI and, and advances in technology and robotics, et cetera, et cetera. But for us to really thrive as a society, we need to be able to make the connections to those relationships and to be better people. And what we're seeing is human-centric leaders, those who are able to put people first, put themselves first, put, that, put those values first, are doing better in business. And they're doing better in all areas, politics, not-for-profits, the charity sector, we're seeing it everywhere and we're seeing it around the world. And despite, I think, some scary situations that we're seeing as well around the world, I am incredibly inspired by people taking the action, you know, going back to that analogy with the well, where they're showing compassion with action. And we're seeing it in, in big picture politics, but we're also seeing it in day-to-day workplaces. And I want people to know coming out of this conversation that there is hope and that there is a way and a process. And despite how bleak it might feel, they too can be human-centric leaders and excel and and inspire a whole movement behind them to rise up to that opportunity and to that need that we all have. So that's what I hope people walk away with. Where can people find out more about you? You can visit me on LinkedIn. I'm on Anne-Marie Rodriguez de Colleen. I think I'm also, whatever the, the short version for LinkedIn is, is Ruby Red Coach. But please, I encourage everybody, I'd love to have com- further conversations about this and people can, can visit me there and, and link in that way. They can also uh, visit my website, which is www.rubyredcoaching.com. And I'm very active on Instagram. 
<laughs> and uh, and I'm there as Ruby Red Coach, and I also have a Facebook page, a business page of Ruby Red Coaching and Consulting. So those are the probably the best ways of of getting in touch and and uh, talking with me. I like talking, so, so <laughs> I invite people to to connect and talk. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tara. Thank you for this. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and we hope that you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, we would love it if you left us an iTunes review or if you comment, like and share it on our social media channels. You can find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. So the Business of Healthcare podcast is being brought to you by THC Primary Care. We are a project management company specialising in the development of primary care networks, GP federations and training hubs. If you need support or you are looking for advice on how to progress one of your initiatives, please drop us an email so I can arrange a call with you so we can discuss this further. Our email is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk. We've been helping primary care networks with their development plans, helping them to make the most of their network meetings, sharing training resources. We've had questions like what do we include in a project plan? We have implemented network-based contracts across GP federations. We also support the day-to-day operational management of training hubs and have also got experience in setting them up from scratch. If we can't help you, we definitely know some people who will be able to help you, so please do get in touch. And that's just to remind you, our email address is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk or come and find us on www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. And in the meantime, please tune in to the next episode of the Business of Healthcare podcast. <laughs>